Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome on today's episode of Partially Excited. We got Nathan Lass. This guy is a genius of what he does in the sporting world where he takes your mental capacity in sport and figure out how you can make you mentally sharp, mentally gritted in the space where you feel like your body wants to shut down, your mind says I'm finished. This guy figures out how to become mentally tough. Hello, welcome to the show, Nathan. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Aaron. Appreciate you. Nathan, where did you grow up in? I grew up here in in, uh, in the States, in Utah, actually. Between the valleys of uh, the Utah Valley and Salt Lake Valley is over here in Utah. And lots of mountains, lots of uh, outdoor space, to, to say the least. Gave me the opportunity to get involved in a, in a whole lot uh, when it came to or it comes to sport experience and, and just getting involved. Outdoor, indoor sports, doesn't really matter. I was, I was all about it. I love that stuff still do and were your was your family kind of outdoorsies as well or was it just you yeah i mean we i mean i grew up on a motorcycle i, I grew up uh, every weekend we'd be out in a in a different track at a different state racing motorcycles and that's that's kind of where where my sporting experience essentially started uh, we were very outdoor people and uh, family owned their own business so when it came to the weekend it was it was essentially just getting away uh, and uh, mom and dad ended up taking us uh, around the country riding bikes and uh, having a great time with it was it dirt bikes or supercross or what kind of bikes did you- it was motocross, supercross. Uh, we did actually both sides of that, uh, indoor and outdoor experiences. Worked through that until I was about 10 or even 12 years old at that point, and then uh, moved away from, from the sport uh, to focus on other things. But uh, yeah, the first 10 years of my life was pretty much dedicated to, to, to motocross. What did that sport teach you as, as being able to, first of all, being able to rip with speed at high speed, but it must have taught you something. Oh, hell, I don't think it taught me anything other than having a good time on a bike. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, at ten, at ten years old, I guess you learn you learn to respect uh, you know going fast. I, I grew addicted to it though. I mean, I and I and I still have this this kind of you know peace inside of me where I just love I love the adrenaline. I love the speed. I love going fast. I love I I, I love being in that moment. Um, you know, you have to be focused. Where you have to be so engaged because if you if you you know falter in any way, shape, or form when it comes to your concentration, you die. That, that's essentially what what high risk sports do for you is they they make you be in that moment and I grew addicted to that uh, even through my teens and and even now I, I love the feeling of going fast and being right on that edge of, of control you know that 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 led me you know specifically into triathlon and uh, and the uh, the long distance triathlon world and now uh, now I get to you know feel addicted to that bike uh, and, and biking and the speed that comes with you know being arrow and, and going as fast as we can over a long period of time when you were doing the motocrossing do you were you racing as well or were you just hopping on the bike and just going as fast as you can no racing a lot a lot of racing uh since i was two years old three years old we we actually went out to the world minis a, a few times uh qualified for, for kind of the, the high profile world's competition uh, that was uh, a couple of years actually and did the sponsorships thing and, and had a good run at, at the whole thing. Uh, had a lot of inter- injuries as well, unfortunately. You know, that's, I guess, the, the repercussions of going fast uh, and, and, and riding that line sometimes is uh, injuries do uh, do accumulate, they leave. Uh, how how were you able to deal with injuries at, at, at that age? Deal with them? Yeah. You know, what? I mean, heck, we just we just hurt ourselves and then we then we recover. We don't really know anything better than that, do we? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of took it as a, as a part of pride, honestly. It's like uh, by the time I was 12 years old, I'd you know, broken 21, 22 bones in my body and, and had eight surgeries, nine surgeries. And, and honestly... I kind of took that as a, a, a piece of my identity. I loved it. And I told people about it and uh, it, it grew to be a part of me. Like I was the guy that, that went, yeah, I kicked the crap out of myself sometimes and I hurt myself, but I always got back up and I kept going. So yeah, it kind of grew to be a part of who I am. And uh, even, even to this day. And when you were eating for races, did you know anything about nutrition or strength and conditioning or was it just normally get up, have breakfast and go out to the course and race? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was very redneck to say the least. I mean, I didn't, I didn't get into the whole nutrition, you know, physiology, uh, optimal performance until I was in college, you know, playing lacrosse. So it was, it, it was very ragtag and it was a hell of a lot of fun. And, and there wasn't a lot of seriousness around it by any, you know, back in that day, you know, racing bikes, racing motocross was all about just having a good time and, and going out with friends brought the competitive piece of me out obviously you know when i was racing but uh, outside of the racing it was it was just all about being a part of uh, the bigger community of motocross you must find this through your work is that when you meet people chatting like we're doing at the moment they're very relaxed happy they're 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 individual but when they're they're in the middle of a race they're a, a different different person very different people. yeah 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 have you kind of identified why that that happens i don't know why it happens personally uh, I haven't read a ton of research on why that happens. All I know is that it, it's very common knowledge that people are different on on and off the you know the court, on and off the race you know environment in their personal lives versus their professional lives and in, in versus their athletic lives. And I might even throw this back to you. I mean, have you seen yourself change uh, 
when you're in a race in terms of how you see the world, your philosophy, the way, the way you act and behave versus, you know, in your day-to-day life? Oh yeah, definitely. Like I described as two different people, you know, the person that I know so well will be the relaxed, happy, kind of go lucky guy. But when I'm in a race, it's like, you know, you see a lion hunt for deer or, or, or a gazelle. That's kind of the, you don't really care about the, the nice niceties of it when you're in that situation. You probably are the same and, and, in some way. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's, I guess what competition does to us or for us, I should say. It, it really brings out different you know, sides of, of our personalities, of our identities, and it lets us use those pieces in order to help us achieve, you know, really whatever we're trying to achieve, whatever that might be. Everyone has their own personal you know, wants and whys they compete. Uh, but yeah, it definitely does bring out a different side. And I like to talk to that all the time, you know, answer this question based on that person rather than the person you're sitting, you know, in the chair in front of me. Right. Yeah. When I'm working with athletes, I'm always asking them, you know, from, from, you know, tell me it from that side of things, from that perspective or from that part of you and answer the question based on that part of you. And the, the answers are always so different, so much different than, than if they were to just answer it, to, you know, those questions that I'm asking them based on, you know, their day-to-day life personality. So it's, uh, it's very intriguing and it's something that I think we all need to know uh, if we are working with, uh, with, with athletes or if we're just asking ourselves that, like we're always have to be coming, you know, the problems and the challenges that we're facing from the personality of the athlete rather than of the you know, day-to-day individual. Does that make sense? It, it, it sure does. We're competitive creatures in the competitive nature that creates high performance. And I think the class A individual, anyone that's in high end sport is that category in some way, I think. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Absolutely. And, and some, and some people are the same though. I mean, at the same time, mm. some people are very much the same on, on, uh, in a competitive environment than they are in their personal lives, which I mean, heck that's just, that's just, that just goes to show the individuality of, of athletics and athletes as a whole and how you have to approach each individual as an individual, um, as a unique individual. And that's why, I mean, I, I don't really have a whole lot of quote unquote programs that I run athletes through because everyone is so unique and so dynamic that you have to approach everything from an individual standpoint, asking the questions, getting the background, understanding them at their core and who they are and what they're all about and why they're doing what they're doing. Once you figure all that out, then you can start kind of figuring out, okay, what are the tactics and and techniques that we can use to to help bring out the best in these athletes um, in training as well as in competition. Is it the same in team sports as well? Um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. There, it's, it's the same, you know, in the individual, like what can we do individually uh, in order to help you achieve your, your, your end state or the goal of the team. But the, the only difference is you just add in the dynamics of team, <laughs> uh, then the dynamics of relationships inside of the team, the dynamic of relationships between the coach and the other players, what have you. I think it just adds on to the equation or to the, the, the question marks there. The team dynamics is a huge topic within sport and performance psychology and you know how to work through those team dynamics and forming uh, a team through at the end of a season it, it's hard to manipulate but if you get it right i mean great things can happen and it all starts with the coach obviously in that case i think a lot of, of team dynamics does get thrown on coaches i think uh, a lot of team dynamics needs to be thrown on the captains uh, of the teams um, to be managing and mitigating you know the behaviors of of the team itself there's some interesting topics that we can get into that you know all of that but we won't yeah. go too far into it anyway what are your thoughts when you graduated from high school did you want to go into sports or what kind of led you into sports psychology 
it's a funny story. Actually, a really sad story, unfortunately. I was, you know, motocross until I was 12. I, I then did a different sport every year until I got to my senior year in, in high school. Ballroom dance and lacrosse and golf competitive all all of these being very competitive you know had my had my experience with all of these different sports and enjoyed it Um, but i you know primarily i i was a kind of the motocross guy and a golfer i loved golf i I played golf on a daily basis from the time i was eight years old through about uh, about 16 so i had a good run of eight years of of really deliberate practice and develop deliberate and development um, within golf and uh, when I got to my sophomore year in, in high school I was you know top three players on my team uh, in high school uh, being a sophomore being a freshman kind of had a great experience you know in the first couple of months but uh, unfortunately kind of my head got the better of myself and I started getting really debilitative really unproductive thinking going on and and really you know ended up uh, you know killing myself uh when it comes to like the head game like i i destroyed every every part of my confidence because of my self-talk it was just so unproductive and i always imagined just the worst events happening you know that, that hadn't happened yet you know whether it be a, a slice or a, a you know hitting the ball into the, the, the lake or the river or what have you it, it, my, my my head game was so bad that it actually led to me walking off the course in the middle of a, a team competition and that was the last day I ever played uh, competitive golf. Kind of pulled myself off the team, self-selected out of the team. Didn't you know? Didn't want to go back and kind of show face and you know fess up for what I did. Uh, and so I just left the sport altogether. It's so unfortunate because even to this day, I mean, I could have been something when it comes to golfer or a golfer, you know, in, in the golf world. After that, I, you know, I, I, I moved into the, the sport of lacrosse, you know, kind of still had that competitive jive, that athleticism that I had you know, from my life and wanted to get into a new sport that didn't have all the angst and the you know, sadness and all the emotion that went along with the behaviors and actions that I portrayed, you know, in, in those uh, or in that, that competition. Got into, got into college, had a lot of question marks about who I wanted to be and what I wanted to become. Sports psychology wasn't on the docket by any means. But in my junior year, actually, of, of college, I, I heard a, a speech from a sports psychology consultant. And that day, I changed my entire major from engineering, uh, having already gone two and a half years in engineering, and changed it to sports psychology and exercise and sports science and performance psychology. That was like the one day that changed my entire life. Made the decision and, and moved in that direction. I, I developed and, and went through that experience of education with that you know, 14 year old self in mind. What if I could have helped myself? What if, what if I could have helped develop the mental game in my 14 year old golf you know, self? Would I have stayed on the course? Would I have completed that event? Would I have become something? If I just had a better head game, if I just learned how to control that negative self-talk or that debilitative thinking or that unproductive imagery or just the emotion that came with the game kind of led me into sports psychology and uh, you know i found out all the answers and i you know I, I was passionate about it and i found something that i was really excited about in, in life but gosh that's that's a belated long-winded answer to a very <laughs> short question i apologize no don't worry <laughs> man it's a uh, it's a long life and it's a long life to, to kind of look back on to be honest with you but yeah that's that's kind of the primary reason i went into sports psychology was to help my younger self what kind of inspired you what did that lecture inspire you to change major to change courses 
I just, I just found the problem. I mean, we get into college, we get into, you know, the, the 18 to 25 year old stage of life. And we wonder like, who, who are we going to be? What are we going to do? And uh, yeah, I was gravitating towards engineering because, you know, financially it's, it was a benefit and, you know, I was, I loved design and I loved you know, the engineering you know, kind of concepts, but I, I really hated the idea of sitting in a cubicle and running numbers all day long. Like that just didn't fit for me. So just, I mean, just ga- gathering more experiences and, and, you know, understanding a little bit more about myself. I got into my junior year of college and, and, you know, heard this individual speak about sports psychology and it was like the answer. I got to, I got to work inside of, you know, this, this person's working with athletes and they're working on performance. And I was, man, I was all about that idea of, you know, how can I improve myself, master myself, better myself, because I was running through my, my own personal issues at the time, whether it be. Uh, you know, drug addiction or addiction to video games or um, pornography or what have you. It's, I mean, we all work through these like personal problems through our teens and coming into adulthood. But, you know, learning that I could figure out how to master my own mind, how to, how I could figure out how to master myself um, to be a better individual, to be more successful, to be just happier. Sports psychology provided all those answers. It was really interesting. And I, so I started practicing some of the stuff that, that I was hearing out of this individual um, when they were speaking. And I started practicing them and they were having significant impacts on my life. I was happier. I was more engaged. I was just, just more fulfilled. I was more purposeful in my day-to-day actions. I, I was just performing as a human a hell of a lot better than, than being in the rut and the depression and the, you know, the suck that I found myself in quite a bit when I was in college. So it was just, it was just a way to help myself in the end. And, uh, I, I learned how to get out of that funk and it was so fulfilling that I just kind of, I wanted to take that a little bit further. And, and honestly, it, it was really, it was really one day. It was a single day. I called my parents up and I said, I'm changing my major. She says, well, you're almost done. You're almost, you have one more year of engineering. And I said, I'm done. I don't want to do it. It's not the rest of my life. And I changed over exercise science and uh, graduated actually a year and a half later with a stupid amount of credits, way too many credits. You know, I had so many, it's ridiculous. I could have graduated with what, like three degrees at that point, but I graduated with the exercise sports science degree and a a minor in psychology and then moved on to my master's program after that for another two years. Uh, Yeah, it it got, uh, it got intense there with the experience of just learning how to be a good sports psychology consultant. The rest is history. (laughs) And during the course, did you get a chance to, I I hear that the, like the 14 year old was on the golf course. It sounds like there was regret there, but do you get a chance to kind of go back and and figure out why that happened while going through the psychology course to understand the, 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 the mind and performance? Well, oh yeah. I mean, I, I, I can point to, you know, debilitative self-talk. Number one, I was an absolute asshole to myself all the time. I would harp and critique every shot to, you know, a T and I would just, I would just criticize myself on a continual basis. I would be in my head all the time thinking through things like very intentionally and deliberately, like working my shot inside of competition. And, you know, that's not the space for thinking. And we all know this, right? Competition is not the space for analyzing and being critical. That's what training's for. I can never just, I can never make that shift between training and competition. I'd always bring that training mindset into competition. And it destroyed me. Like I'd get on, I'd make a mistake. And because there was such high, you know, expectations with the team and, and the pressure of competition and kind of all of that stuff, as well as having that great, you know, 
criticizing mind or voice in my head, it just broke me. And, and I can point back to that moment. It's just like, if I were to go back and teach myself any one thing, it would be number one, just being aware of your mindset and knowing when you're thinking too much and what I can do or what I could have done to, to move myself back into just being in the moment and, and playing the game and playing each shot and just moving on. I hung up, I, I stumbled on everything behind me you know, I, and I critiqued myself throughout the entire game in most cases throughout all of competition. I never did find that flow, um, that, you know, non-thought kind of experience unless I was out by myself just playing my own game. Just, you know, it was interesting. I was actually, you know, putting myself in more of a, a you know, competition and winning mindset during training, you know, versus actual competition. I'd put myself in a training mindset during competition in a, and a trusting and, and competitive mindset during training. And uh, that frustrated the hell out of me because I, it was like, man, I can do this in training. I can, I, I kick ass in training. I'm shooting freaking even par in most cases as a you know, 13, 14 year old. Like, why can't I do this in competition? And uh, <laughs> my coach would ask the same thing. And my you know fellow athletes on my team would ask the same thing. And it, 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 it broke me. That was, must've been an aha moment when you figured that out later on when you're in the middle of deconstructing the mind through performance and sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it was fun to actually have an answer. Like it wasn't just me. It was, it was what I was doing myself, but it also frustrated me that I didn't have anybody to turn to. Um, I didn't have any, any sports psychology consultant working with me, you know, later, later on, I found out, you know, it's not because it wasn't out there at that time. Sports psychology has been prevalent since, you know, 1900s started really gaining a lot of traction in over the last 50 years but it's just more access there's there's just very little accessibility to sports psychology consultants at the high school level uh, which is kind of what led me into you know building and creating mental grid consulting uh, you know one of my primary missions at mental grid is you know providing access- accessibility to, to all sport athletes um, to develop their mental game and to get answers you know for some of these things that that they might not have accessibility to right now that's that's kind of my big purpose or has been my big purpose over the last five or six years during uh, the business uh, you know time of my uh, my experience at this point why did you choose the name mental grit man i, I went through so many freaking names it was ridiculous trying to figure out what what name would fit with what i wanted to do and interestingly enough like i'm actually coming to the point where i'm 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 actually thinking about switching the name and I'll, and I'll tell you why. I wanted a company, and I wanted a company full of, of consultants to be able to provide accessibility to, to sports psychology, to you know, youth athletes, and and to programs across the world. That's that's been the goal since the beginning. Um, I thought that Mental Grit Consulting, you know, would be a good kind of banner or umbrella to to have all of these consultants work inside of. You know, the name's great, honestly. You know, it's, it's something that actually came out of Angela Duckworth's research which essentially is the, de- the definition of grid is, is being able to persist across time to act in, in towards a, a common goal across a long, long period of time. And a lot of people don't have that ability. They don't have that ability to, to, you know, pursue something more than one or two years. They kind of, you know, go a one or two years and then they switch sports and what have you. And that actually goes back to my story. I mean, as before, it, you know, I, I switched, I switched sports every year because I, I would get really good at it. And then at some point in time, I, I peak in terms of my development inside the sport. And then I move on to a new sport because it wasn't that exciting to me anymore. Um, I didn't have that grit 
when I was a kid. I, I couldn't persist or I didn't persist. So uh, grit was just a, a, a word that really resonated with me as a uh, as an athlete and as a practitioner, I really wanted to teach kids, you know, the, the importance of per, you know persistence, of, of grit, of, of doing something for a long period of time, and how impactful that is to their their overall success, not only in sport but also in school and life. And obviously, the mental aspect of just bringing in the mind uh, is important, uh, and working deliberately and intentionally on the mental processes, on the techniques and tactics that we have control over in our mind and through our mind uh, to be able to perform. So mental grit just kind of came together. Gosh, I, I can't even remember all the other names that we came up with at that point, but uh, I landed on mental grit and it's, uh, yeah, when, when I hear, it when I, when I read or hear mental grit, I think this, this mind that's like a concrete that you have to take a sludge hammer or something hard to break it. And you still can't <laughs> break it. And probably that's what you thought when you were coming up with the name as well. Well, I mean, I just, I, I kept hearing this, this conversation. I, I remember hearing, I don't remember exactly what it was called, but it talked about how, you should be excited that, you know, on, on the path of success that you've got past, you know, that person, there's going to be people along this road of your success that are on the same path as you are, but you're going to see a lot of people, you know, die along the way to say the least. And you should be excited that you got past that person and that person and that person. And I thought, well, sooner or later, everyone else is going to give up. Sports psychology is hard. <laughs> like the, the, the business, there, there is no precise business model to jump into. Like, like, I mean, a doctor, maybe doctors, lawyers, you know, kind of the, the standard, you know, occupations out there, you can jump into that kind of environment and there's always paths that you can take. Uh, what was interesting about sports psychology, it's, I mean, it's been done in a variety of different ways, the, the business of sports psychology, but it's, uh, it's really relatively new. So it gave me a lot of breathing room to, to kind of go down that route. And, uh, and you know, I, I saw too many of, of my cohort quit the, the idea. They still have the knowledge, obviously, but the actual practice of sports psychology and, uh, and teaching sports psychology is not something that they do anymore because there's, you know, there was no pathway. And so you know, just knowing that if, if I'm the one that doesn't quit, you know, how, how many out there am I going to get past? And now six years after graduation, uh, I've, I've lived my own name, mental grit. It's something that I continue to persist uh, within business. It's something that I continue to persist within triathlon, you know, over years and years and years, just having grit and showing grit, I think is the more important part. It's not just saying that, that you are mentally tough or, or have mental grit. It's more that you, you, you know, or be mental grit, you, you do mental grit, you, you act, you behave through mental grit. And, uh, if you can show, show what, what you have in terms of the mental capacity, in terms of the action and behaviors that support mental grit, then ultimately over a long, long period of time, you will become the athlete who is known to be tough, who's known to be, you know, the concrete, uh, that, that is never broken or is broken, but just reforms kind of thing. Anyway, I hope that answers your question. No, it, it does. So, so like we all, like everyone that's in, in sport, they have this, you know, strength and conditioning is the same, nutrition is the mm -hmm. same, but mm -hmm. the only thing that, that's different is the mental um, capacity. Yeah, of, very unique. Yeah. Very, very unique. How can someone kind of figure out their, their path or their way to become mentally tough? Because at a point in a race, your, your body is going to say no more, you know? Well, work with the sports psych. I mean, that I means simple as that. Every every individual is so unique. You, you especially the psychology of the individual. 
that you have to have that out, outside perspective. Um, there's something that we say inside of sports psych that says, uh, just do not self-assess. Um, because when you start self-assessing, you end up judging yourself. You end up judging your performances in a light or from a perspective that just doesn't see the whole picture. That's why a coach is so important and so impactful to have that outside perspective to look at your performances and say, okay, this is really where you did well at and this is really where you sucked at. Rather than you know, that coming from yourself, because when it comes, that assessment uh, of your competition, of your training comes from yourself, it comes from a skewed perspective um, because you're already inside of it. And it's so hard to, to get that perspective you know, from yourself. So you, you really do need to find a mentor or a coach that has some assemblage of, of understanding of sports psychology in order to really you know, impact your, your mind uh, and how you're using your mind to help you. Now, the unfortunate part is that most coaches have heard about imagery, have heard about, you know, self-talk, have heard about emotional control and, you know, focus and concentration and pre-performance routines. And like, these are all buzzwords inside of you know, the sport world. It, very few of them know how to actually apply that in information in a way that's not just a, a platitude just a, a saying that that they're saying but doesn't really mean anything and, and i fear that a lot of coaches kind of fall victim to thinking that they're experts in, in sports psychology they're not um and that actually can really hurt uh, an athlete and their experience um have you ever had that kind of experience um, aaron i'd just be interested yeah you know, and, and a, a, a coach who has you know platitudes but you know doesn't really know how to work inside of the, the sports psychology realm yeah, I've had I've had a few throughout throughout my time, and I totally I totally agree that um that the coach may know everything, but at the end of the day, he just may know his his skill set or tech, technical set. But yes, yeah, he may not know the athlete to a point where you know he may have an idea of the athlete, but yes, does he know what's inside his head or how he how he calculates or processes stuff? I've mm-hmm. you know. And to be honest, um, now I have I've, I have that experience, but before no, so I I understand and I have experience, but yes, it I, I feel that you know it should be part of of each athlete's progression because, like you just said, you know it's like when you can mirror, you can see from outside, but you can't see within. Comparing to yeah. having an, an outside view, someone say Aaron uh, or Nate say, you know, at mile sixty on your triathlon race, <laughs> you you broke down because of A, B, and C, and, and that's the kind of coaching an athlete needs yeah yeah absolutely they, they you have to have perspective and that's the importance of mentors that's the importance of coaches that's why they exist is because they have perspective and perspective is is key when it comes to self-awareness when it comes to doing something that is effective for you uh, as an athlete so if, if they see you know you you faltering or what have you physically you can then go back and assess that with a coach and say okay what was going on here here and here what what caused this to happen in your opinion and you can kind of you can you can give that information to the coach and then it's it's up to the coach to kind of say okay based on sorts of you know sports psychology and the research like this this is what might be happening. What can we do about it? And I think that's the important piece there that you, you not only are self-aware on, on information and uh, a perspective that is solid in its foundation, um, not yourself, but from somebody else's point of view, you also have, okay, now what, what am I going to do about it? 
and that and that combination of information and application is i mean that is sports psychology uh, as a whole uh, finding what works best for you you know to help you work through you know the challenges that you face uh, and realize how many times i said you in that statement <laughs> uh, it, it really is so individual uh, i i very rarely have found a a, a one-size-fits-all approach um, to any athlete I've worked with over the last six years, I've worked with athletes and that's hundreds and hundreds of athletes at this point. So it's, it's, it's individual and you've got to have that individual approach um, and understanding that you are an individual and you should be treated as an individual. You mentioned the buzzwords like visualization, meditation, all the kind of psychology stuff that's been, that's been thrown around. Do you think they're, they're mm-hmm. valuable if the, if the individual does not have a psychologist in their, in their team? Depends on, on, I mean, if they're deliberately and intentionally applying those things to their training. Uh, I mean, every, every, every athlete does some aspect of mental technique, whether it be visualization or imagery or, or self-talk they, 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 they've done it before. It's not like nobody can do these things until they, you know, understand it from the sports psychology consultant. But I think, I think there's a lot of athletes who can use it ineffectively and it can actually hurt them. That goes back to kind of when I was 14, like I was using imagery all the time. I was using it to help me kind of formulate my shots to kind of see how I was going to approach each challenge and each shot that I was going to face. But the problem is, is that I couldn't control it. I would let my mind wander and, and those images would rather than being the shot I wanted, it would be the shot that I didn't want. And I would just replay those in my head over and over and over again. Same thing goes like after the shot was made, I'd sit there and replay in my head, you know, the, the, the problem shot. And then it would just be replayed and replayed and replayed and, and sooner or later, like I would literally replay it so much in my head that, that that's what would actually happen in my body. And I couldn't, I couldn't hit a shot. That was, that was a good shot. I, I would literally just, you know, you know, um, hit it and it would, it would fade off one way. Uh, I can, I can actually, you know, go back and say, you know, there was a six month period that I had, uh, literally primed myself to hit the ball wrong and hit a, hit a huge right hand hook every single shot. I could not get over it. And I had to retrain myself to, to kind of work my drives back in. That used to be my, my biggest strength. And then it turned into my biggest weakness because I would literally envision uh, myself slicing the ball every single time. And that led to, you know, some issues <laughs> to say the least. So, so I think, I think, you know, just understanding how it does impact you, uh, I think is important. Does an athlete have to have a sports psychology consultant in order to be successful? No, by no means. Uh, I, I just like to say that, that in, in order to really optimize your full athletic potential, your full physical potential, you know, you need to, you know, understand and learn what you can do mentally in order to bring that full physical potential to light, you know, on competition when, it, when you need to be there. I think that's, that's important. Uh, yeah. You can, you can be a great athlete without a sports psychology consultant because you've done the work mentally yourself. And some people can do that. It's always fun to have a companion along the way, if you ask me. And that brings motivation, that brings consistency and that brings uh, energy to your development.
I think if you do it wrong, your body gets to a point where you end, you end up in that situation that kind of hits the freeze point of where your muscles are in your, in your head and your body is like, I keep getting stuck in this issue and it just keeps replaying, you keep re- replaying it over and over and over. It gets to a point where it starts seeping into the cellular memory of the muscles, even though in training you could be hitting the best numbers that you could ever hit. And I think mm-hmm. that's another aspect when you do it wrong. Well, the mind, mind or the body doesn't know the difference between you imagining it and you actually do like the, the signals are still being sent like if you imagine yourself you know jumping into the pool just in a in a dive the signals are still sent in a very very small signal very weak signal but it's still being sent from the mind of the muscle so it's not strong enough to actually move the muscle essentially i mean you're 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 sending a, a signal you know from mind to muscle uh, and if you do that enough even if it's a very weak signal it's going to absolutely change the way um, you normally perform that uh, that technique or that tactic or that that you know flow of movements um, why did you get into triathlon because I started working with triathletes and didn't know what the hell I was talking about. I was a motocross kid, a ballroom dancer, and, and a lacrosse player. And I started working with triathletes, and I thought they were stupid. I was like, why in the hell would you sit on a bike indoors in winter for six hours <laughs> and then and then go run for an hour and a half? Like, I thought that was the stupidest thing in the entire world. I was like, I don't get it. I don't get you guys. I don't get your psychology. Like, I know all the science behind endurance sports and, and the mental game behind endurance, but I, I was unable to effectively work with those athletes because I just didn't get it. I, I'd never been there before. So uh, I had to go cut my teeth in triathlon. Simple as that. I had to go learn what it was like to, you know, all the, the issues and the challenges and the problems that, you know, triathletes deal with. And once I got that perspective, then I was able to actually help the athletes that I was working with. I was actually able to understand, you know, where they were coming from and the challenges that they were facing and approach it from a, a very, so you know, experience-based mindset rather than just theory, right? I, I wholeheartedly believe in, in sports psychology practice that's based in experience rather than in theory. Theory doesn't hold up in a lot of cases. So you have to have the experience. You have to know what your athletes have been through or are going through in order to really truly affect them in a positive way or at least help them affect themselves. Once you got into triathlon, did your views of that change in some way? Not, not only appreciation, but, but an understanding between two, and this is something I found out through my experience, the difference between survival and competition in endurance sports. I kind of gave myself an 18-month period in order to understand triathlon and uh, in, in going and competing from, with my first Ironman. Like, that was kind of the goal. I did that. I went, I, I participated in the training, you know, I trained for pretty much 18 months, did nine half Ironmans and, and a full Ironman in the 18 month period and fell absolutely in love with the sport wholeheartedly enjoyed the, the training aspect. Um, but also went through a lot of the, the issues that a lot of the athletes that I was working with, um, go through burnout being one of the big ones, um, overtraining, relying on motivation as, as, you know, the, the predeterminant of success, 
and how uh, you know that was the wrong way to think about training and, and motivation as a whole. The balance between family and, and training, and how important and impactful that piece is. And it also gave me you know some time to, to really work through the techniques that I had used, uh, you know, in in the theory and in, in you know classwork and my collegiate experience uh, and apply it to triathlon and to training and getting into and out of the training and trusting mindsets and you know just a lot of the technical stuff and i found out what did work and not work for me at least so i was able to kind of pass that stuff along to the athletes that i was working with but yeah the appreciation for the sport definitely changed and the respect for the sport definitely changed the respect for anybody who was able to to go out and train that long changed a lot and uh, it just gave me a lot more perspective on, on being able to work with the athletes i was working with and uh, you know i i like to think of it like hey now i'm, I'm a little bit hopefully a little bit better at it as a, as a coach <laughs> um i seem to seem to have some some experience now but uh yeah hopefully hopefully it helps i don't know what do you think what do you, do you think coaches that have experience in this board are better than coaches that don't i i I think they do it's interesting i i came from a rowing background into into triathlon in the last in the last few months but Mm -hmm. there is there is one coach that kind of stuck out my mind from from rowing he was ukrainian he was in his mid 60s early early 70s i'd say and he was well experienced and some of the stuff we did was kind of out out of the like orthodox the norm yeah but yes it was it was some of my best time as as an athlete where we we did stuff like why are we doing this why everything and that's where i got to love the sport and going through him but unfortunately that he didn't stay as long as as i wanted to this day Mm -hmm. but but that happens in sport you know coach coaches move on but i i do think you know coaches that are that are in mid 50s early 60s have seen this that's been the sport from day one to, to 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 then are the coaches you should have in your corner i think you know yeah, yeah, you, you absolutely will benefit from true understanding, not just what's out there, right? It's like there's, there's a difference between what you can read versus what you actually do. And there's a lot of stuff that I read nowadays, especially on the internet, that's just a bunch of crap. It's just re restated crap. <laughs> like they, they, they put tin foil on it and then try to sell it. Um, it just doesn't, it, it, it's unfortunate, but you know, the world that we live in, in the information age of you know technology and computers and the internet, there wasn't enough understanding in sports psychology. And, and so, you know, all of this stuff got put into the internet and people just go and use that as their informational basis. And it's a bunch of crap. Like a lot of it really is. There's a lot of it. That's pretty good. Um, that's like, Oh yeah, they get it. They understand. But, uh, unfortunately I think that you have to go seek experience, um, actual experience before working with anybody who's just working off of theory or off of the coach's handbook. It's just true, though. <laughs> no, it is. You mentioned that burnout is a huge factor in triathlon. Why do you think that? People don't understand the, the amount of that needs to be attended to throughout training. Uh, I think it's really easy to get involved in training and be excited about training, but uh, in a lot of cases, I've seen that athletes get over overexcited and they don't manage that emotional energy, and so they just commit 100% into this idea of being the triathlete. Uh, and living the triathlete life that uh, they forget about everything else, family or friends or, you know, rest or recovery or what have you training, training, like when you actually get involved in it and you can, you find a community of people to train with and what have you, it's so exciting. It really is. If you don't manage that, then it's really easy to start overtraining because, you know, 
gosh, have you ever found yourself, you know, overtraining because you get too excited about it? Um, because you get too involved and too engaged and it's just something that, uh, that you want to do all the time or, uh, what's your experience with burnout? I'm interested. Yeah, definitely. I, you can manage the body so well, you can manage the mind so well, but I think when you get so excited about something, you just want to run straight into the wall instead of <laughs> gradually yeah. walk, you know? <laughs> and, you know, it's funny when I started, someone said, don't burn out. And, you know, everyone, I think the entrance trial will experience it regardless of how experienced they feel they are you know well yeah and 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 i think a big proponent of that is the fact that they're comparing themselves to people who have been doing this for years and years and years and years like the people that they're probably looking up to um in the triathlon world i mean gosh you, you've got to give yourself a hell of a long runway into getting to training that much like if you i mean if you look at my schedule right now i'm into 10 to 12 hours a week of training and the first mistake I made in the first couple of years is that I was trying to hit 10 to 12 hours of training. <laughs> like I, I blew myself up in a matter of weeks. Like I was done. Like I didn't want to do it anymore. I just found like I just got to the point where I was just like, I don't care to go train. Like I was, I was going, 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 going so good. So impactful. My nutrition was on point. My, you know, my, my sleep, my recovery was great. All of it was great. And all of a sudden in like one day it just split. It's just like, Nope, you're done. And I was like, gosh, why is this happening? And, you know, looking back on all of it, you know, to, to like, like I said before, that perspective is good. Like I needed to be able to have somebody say, slow your ass down, like slow down four or five hours a week and just do that really good. And then go do the rest of your life, right? Commit yeah. to that and make that happen and make that happen for a long time. Make that happen for six to eight months and then take, you know, two, three, four months off and then come back to it right? Kind of rest, recoup over that, you know, that rest period or the, in the quote unquote off season and then come back to it. And honestly, like to be able to grow over the last five years now in triathlon, um, I can definitely see with that perspective now that I have in hindsight, how important it is to just like give yourself those small doses of venom uh, and, and kind of work yourself up to really long training with really big training blocks, like what have you. Um, and I'm talking about like the amount of time that you spend, inside of training not necessarily like the difficulty or intensity of the workouts themselves and that's a whole whole different story but uh yeah yeah it's uh burnout is a huge deal it's a huge proponent and i think a lot of burnout comes from um beginners or or intermediates seeing themselves as having to do what the pros do and and putting themselves through that kind of work without you know working up to it and uh, it'll destroy their mentality it'll destroy their emotional you know capacity and their and their uh, their physical capacity pretty quickly if they uh, kind of fall victim to that comparison. Is, is there a difference between mental grit from an endurance athlete to a power athlete? No, hundred percent. Yeah, no doubt. And, and what's the difference? Well, an endurance athlete grit is about doing something for a long, long period of time when you're in pain under pressure, like the difficulty i mean if you look back at grit like what is grit grit is is making a decision over a long long period of time right like making difficult decisions over a long period of time the decisions that are being made in, in endurance athletics is, are different way different than the decisions that are being made inside of power sports like power sports it's 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 still the getting up in the morning it's still the training it's much less about enduring pain and much more about putting in a, a, an intense, intense workout and then you know, getting 
the, the nutrition that you have to get within power sports and you know all the stuff that comes along with power sports is so different than the endurance sport world um all the decisions that are being made I and mean, i guess if, if i were to you know go back on the question i mean maybe it's not that different i, I think the choices that are being made are different mental grit is mental grit mental grit is still just making hard decisions over a long period of time so based on that definition mental grit isn't any different between the two um the the choices are just different knowing what those choices are i think are important but uh yeah it's still pursuit it's still you making the decision to get up it's still making the decision to eat right it's still making the decision to recover effectively if i were to talk about this the psychology behind those two things endurance and, and power then those are very very different you look at you look at an endurance you know sport in a much different capacity or different light than you do a, a power sport i mean you have to do things differently in endurance sports than you do power sports you can't you can't build yourself up and get yourself all jacked up like you do in a powerlifting like right off the bat inside of well maybe maybe in sprint i don't know what's your thoughts on this aaron like you know uh, where do you need to be in order to really like perform your best at the beginning of a because you're in sprint you're in sprint triathlon right and olympic level triathlon i mean more more sprint levels yeah so so do you do you race better if you jack yourself up to the point of like heart rate skyrocketed and in zone four and uh, you know right before you enter the water or do you need to be like cool calm collected going into the water and to perform your best like where do you need to be so i haven't done a done a race yet but i'll, I'll compare it my as a rower for another i'll, I'll yeah. try to compare it into, into what i've done with training so far so um when i start off i would i would go you know heart heart rate high or start off high heavy fast and then explode towards the end and then towards the latter end of my career i kind of went off easy but yes it had enough gas to explode and i think you know I know rowing and triathlon are two different, two different completely sports and two different disciplines and length of the race is completely different. But I, mm-hmm. I do think that if you have a power slash endurance race, you know, the, the energy level, the emotion level, the, the, the mental level is, is really high. Like, like if you're hitting six minutes for two kilometers, you know, that's, that's the amount of power that's being generated between each stroke to, to maintain that that level of performance to meet that that time is is incredible but like what what fascinates fascinates me is the it's an it's an endurance you still need endurance you still need power but at what stage of psychology comes into that to to balance that that both well it's just time. it's just so different because like if you put if you try to especially in long distance triathlon if you put a huge effort in you're burning a hell of a lot of matches and your body's physiology i mean it's not meant i mean it can't recover that fast you know in order to and and and, and realize like we're we're thinking about and it's got to be again individual per sport you have to base everything on optimal performance for that sport and for that individual. So some athletes are, are going to, you know, they, they can sustain that kind of like really hard burn going up a big climb or something like that. And then kind of settling into a lower power output. And some athletes are really good, like in the endurance side of things. So they can just hold a really high power over a long, long period of time and, and not spike their levels. Right. Physiology says that, or research says that if you, you kind of maintain effort over, you know, have kind of an efficient pedal stroke or, or run or what have you, and you don't really fluctuate your power output, um, that that will lead to better performance long-term. Right. So it's like, 
there's so many different factors that are involved in a quote unquote optimal performance, what you can do psychologically to support that optimal performance, the domain that I work in, you know? So it's like, it's, 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 it's different. It's very, very unique. It's very individual. Again, you have to come at it with that standpoint of like, what's optimal for you What's your physiology? What's your nutrition? What's your physical capacity? And then getting the psychology to support where they're currently at. So, yeah, I mean, I'm going to work with a, an expert athlete or expert triathlete a lot different than a, than a, a, a new triathlete. Like new triathlete, I'm just trying to get their psychology to support learning. <laughs> an expert triathlete, I'm, I'm trying to get their psychology to support performance the new triathlete learning is performance. Yeah. You got to base it off a definition. It's definitely different between power and and long distance uh, or endurance sports. Yeah, I know. Um, even the length of the race can, can depend too. Um, Can change the psychology. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like six minute race to an hour and a half race or five hour race or 10 hour race, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You get the ultra ultra endurance. There's different psychology that you can use in order to help you help you perform in a, you know, 10, 15, 20 hour race. Like low, like really, really getting your mind to tell your body like to slow down and to, you know, do it methodically and deliberately. But I think, I think that's the, that's the most important thing that comes out at least the training that I do. Once you do work through a, you know, an iteration within your sport, within your body and who you are, you just gain the ability to be more deliberate and intentional about your training and about your psychology. And that's what has those long-term performance effects. Once you know a little bit more about yourself and your sport and how to approach it in the best way possible, you can then, you know, work towards that rather than just not knowing what you don't know. Yeah. It's like, you want to drive a Maserati Lamborghini or do you want to drive a Ford truck? That's, you know, it depends on the, the sport, the race, the time and everything. <laughs> on, on your website, I like the way you have this questionnaire. Is that kind of how you understand the athlete before you start working with them? Yeah, that's kind of a requirement that I, that I have. Um, that's called the tap assessment or the trot wine athletic profile. And it simply just spits out a basic self-assessment of who the athletes or what the athlete psychology looks like, um, how they think, then, you know, the, the, the pieces and opportunities that we can kind of attack to really optimize their full performance through their mind. So it, it kind of gives them some self-awareness as the athlete, but it also gives me as a coach an understanding of how they think. So we can kind of, you know, assess what are the biggest opportunities to start training in them. What is the psychology that we need to start developing or changing that provides the biggest opportunities for that athlete? I think that's, that's a, a really key piece to finding that individual, unique person and, and how to work with that individual to achieve their personal aims and their personal goals. So it's just an assessment. I mean, everyone, every athlete's taken assessments before. This one's just assessing kind of what our, our mind is like what our psychology looks like inside of a competition and you know, as a performer and what we can do uh, in order to really develop that to support performance in the future. You mentioned that the um, that psychology has been around for a long time. How come in the last maybe 12 or 15 years it's become the new shiny thing in sports? I don't know, acceptance. I mean, what was the first piece of science that really came into the sporting world to help performance? That was strength and conditioning. That happened 25 years ago. People started getting strength and conditioning coaches. And now in today's world, like that's, that's a big piece um, of, of normal training. You have your strength and conditioning coach. Uh, nutrition came along very soon after that um, as another unique and important piece of the puzzle 
of athletic performance. I think, I, and I, I, I will honestly say that I believe that those are the two most important pieces of the puzzle. Like you have to have, you know, a strong body, a, a body that has the physical potential in order to perform. You have to have the nutrition and the, you know, that nutritional base layer in order to make sure that your body uh, is fueled, you know, by, by things that are that help you perform. Uh, the mind is kind of, in my opinion, the most complex, but also the last, you know, five to 10% the capacity of performance. I think it's becoming so prevalent nowadays is because people are looking at it being like, okay, that's just, that's just kind of the, the, the last biggest opportunity, uh, or at least the next biggest opportunity within sport performance, um, to go faster, to, to, you know, jump farther, to, you know, throw the ball further, to, you know, score more goals, whatever it might be. So, uh, it is very complex. And I think that scares a lot of people away from it. I think a lot of people also associate TID, uh, and still associate even this day, uh, sports psychology as being, uh, something that is about issues and problems like psychological problems, ADHD or, um, you know, eating disorders or bipolar disorders, or, you know, the psychologist side of things, the clinical side of psychology. And that gets mixed up with the performance side of psychology, the, you know, sport performance and the performance consulting. So I think a lot of people have been kind of fearful of, of associating themselves with having a sports psychology consultant or a performance coach uh, because of that kind of stigma around the uh, disorder and the clinical aspects of, of, of psychology. And, and honestly, that's, that's, a, that's a big piece. Like that's a very important piece to an athlete is having a quote unquote psychologist, a clinical psychologist to, to help them work through any quote unquote disorders that the athlete may have. And that's a, it's a very real and very you know, big problem. Uh, inside of athletics, there's a lot of issues that go on in terms of mental disorder. There needs to be support for that as well. And you're seeing that, you know, come along in the NFL quite a bit, um, a lot in the MLB, at least here in the States, right? So there's a lot of support in the clinical side, but in, in what I do in, in sports psychology as a consultant, I'm more on the performance side of things. Like what can we do in our mind in order to help us perform physically? So essentially, you know, you look at the whole timeline and you, you see opportunity, like the biggest opportunity and access in the beginning, uh, you know, 25 years ago was strength and conditioning. If you simply, you know, lift weights, you know, in a certain way, it's going to help you perform. Uh, then came nutrition, you know, it's just what you eat, it'll help you perform, you know, and people got good at that. And then the psychology of it all came along and it's a very complex thing. You know, I, th- I think it's, it's gaining traction and people are getting a better understanding of what it is and how it works. I, again, I, I go back to why I jumped into all this in the first place. And that is, I wanted to provide access um, to sports psychology to, you know, lower level athletic programs in order to really make sure that this stuff got out there early to alleviate any, you know, any issues like I had when I was 14. How are you able to provide the access to the, the lower programs or the, or the sports that, that don't have access to psycho- sports psychology? Well, I, I've, I've changed the way I've gone about it in, in the years past. I initially started on site, going on, on site to teams and working with those teams, but I found that that wasn't doing it. But, I mean, yeah, I was able to you know, work with teams and what have you, but. Uh, I embraced my own abilities and capacity within the technology uh, that, I, that I had. I mean, I'm pretty good with technology and pretty much opened everything up to the world. I went online. Um, I started consulting primarily online. And now even today, I've, everything that I do is online from, you know, the one-on-one consults that I have, even if it's an athlete just up the road. 
And I'm, and I'm honestly finding that the kids of today are, are more excited and are more engaged in an online environment than they are in an offline environment. Um, it's just kind of the, the observation that I've seen at least. And that, I mean, it kind of fit, fits well. I mean, being able to provide access to any athlete in the entire world is, is huge. And that, that you know, takes the box in terms of access. But more importantly to the low, lower level programs, it really is about providing, you know, what, what I have developed as, you know, mental grit, basics, training courses and things like that, that are specific to the programs themselves. So I actually have uh, programs that are, that have approached me in the past and continue to approach me that, uh, that want a sports psychology training, you know, kind of basics course as a part of their program. So in that case, I, I bring the coaches uh, in and, and we do everything online and build out a program specific to who they are and, and what they're all about and allow the coaches to, to talk about sports psychology in a very uh, educated way um, where, you know, we're training the coaches a little bit more in the, the right concepts within sports psychology and how it applies to their sport and then how they can use that within their, uh, within their programs. And that's gone off really well, you know, just, just to have, those kind of programs inside uh, or these mental skills basics programs inside of uh, all of these other sport programs um, not only exposes the athletes and the parents and the coaches to sports psychology, but it also gives them a point of contact for questions that they have. And uh, that's been the most helpful. And it's been interesting actually to see that it's more parents that are interested than, than athletes, especially at the lower levels. They're, they're wondering what they can do to help support their athlete psychology, you know, so providing you know information on, on how to do that is important for them and, and at least a touch point for a sports psychology consultant to ask questions is uh, has been the main way that i've been doing it and uh, it's cool to see how uh, how sport programs and parents and, and athletes have actually picked up the, the access and uh, and ran with it and used it quite a lot in their programs and it's been been very impactful to the programs that i've been involved in you forget that you know parents are also they provide the environment for the athlete to grow as well mm-hmm. one of the most important yeah huge. and probably with the tools be the same that you give to a, a professional athlete or someone that be in, an adult as well uh you know the, the tools are generically the same how how we use those tools um is a little bit different you know it, it depends on the sport again it depends on the athlete it depends on their psychology and what they've used in the past i mean when you get to the expert level most athletes already have a set psychology that they use to help them perform really you know what we're changing at that level is, is very minor it's very it's very much an optimization effort it's not like there's huge things that we need to change within these athletes they've already made it right hmm. it's just kind of helping them do the small things and adjust the small things and how they they use their psychology to help them perform when it's at the you know the lower level the, the youth level it really is about like this is how you need to think in order to to perform if you're comparing yourself to your you know, competition, you are hurting yourself. That is unproductive thinking. If you are talking crap on yourself, you know, after your competition, then that is very unproductive. You know, this is what you need to do instead. Uh, teaching them how to have after action reports and to, to debrief their performances in a way that's supportive uh, and productive rather than the kind of debilitative psychology that occurs when it's unguided is is what i do with the youth and and the you know lower level programs where the experts are it's very much about small adjustments um to their current psychology is that why you hear them say the extra one percent 
Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I, I have my own philosophy of that term. I mean, everyone says it's like 50% mental and, and 50% physical. It's like, it's not. Like, at the, at the expert levels, it's like the performance itself is 90% physical. Like, you have to have the body to perform. You have to. Like you, to be able to have even the capacity to perform at those levels is, is the important part. Every piece, every percentage of the of the mental game that you can master you just you just unlock another 10 percent of that physical potential I, I think i think the mental game really at the expert levels is only about 10 percent of the game or the competition with every percentage of that 10 percent that that you master and that you really really achieve you just unlock another 10 percent of your full physical athletic potential on race day or on game day or during competition and you can bring that time and time and time and time again. I mean, you, you look at you know people like Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant effectively developed and, and understood and executed the mental game so well that he was able to bring that mentality, that psychology that he developed into every single game he played. Like he was one of the most consistent individuals, like when it comes to performance ever. That is the result of effective psychology. Uh, that consistency, but that kind of psychology doesn't come in moments that it comes over a long, long period of time. And then, you know, really working the psychology, right. Um, just like it is with the body. Like you train your body, you know, a very specific way in order to achieve a very specific result. Same thing in the mind. You, know, you train your mind on how to think on, on what to think on how to use your, your psychology in order to really, uh, really perform. So, um, when it comes to training for, for a race, should it be more important to train the psychology in the training environment instead of the racing environment? Uh, well, it depends on where you're at, but essentially you have to train yourself to trust yourself. If you're going into a race and you know you're going to face a particular challenge, then you need to be integrating that challenge and how you're going to uh, approach that challenge in training. And you're going to have to be very deliberate and intentional about it. So when you do get to racing, that you know exactly how you're going to approach it. I mean, wind. Wind is a big thing with triathletes. Uh, most of the times the psychology that occurs behind wind is that you get hit with a blast of wind and it's an oh shit moment and most people collapse under the wind and they don't have a plan on how to attack you know because wind is the biggest evil in the world right or at least this is a non-draft <laughs> triathlon right yeah. so, so it's like it's like with those kind of athletes i'm deliberately and intentionally put them in a windy environment and have them go train on windy days and i ask them to come up with a plan on how they're going to approach it knowing that they're going to have to face wind and that they're going to have to perform within you know an environment that has wind they come up with you know how they're going to think about it how they're going to approach the challenge and then it's about going and executing that and executing that plan and seeing what worked and seeing what didn't work and moving forward and you know by the end of iterations and iterations of this this kind of planning and executing um they find a way they find a method or technique that they they use mentally uh, in order to help them perform physically in a windy environment they enjoy the win. They change. They change that knee-jerk reaction to win from one of "oh shit" to "this is my biggest opportunity," or of one that is like, you know, "this is my strength. I kick ass and win. This is where everyone falls apart, and this is where I stay together." 
psychology, right? It's like yeah, wow. it, cha- it changes, but you, you really do have to train that deliberately, right? So in my opinion, I mean, this is how I approach, it doesn't matter if it's a kid or, or an expert athlete, you look at what's your biggest current challenge, like that you know that you're going to face. If it's mountains and how you're approaching mountains and, and how you suck at them and pretty big opportunity, <laughs> you know, you're sitting there imagining yourself failing all the time. Well, that's a huge opportunity because it has a huge detriment, right? To your performance. You know, you, you just got to look at what's the challenges that are coming up and then making sure that you're intentionally training yourself to approach those challenges effectively. I don't know. I'd, I'd maybe ask you, what are the biggest challenges that you face? You know, especially when you haven't raced before, right. In triathlon short course. Yeah. Um, what, what do you, what do you know? What do you know is going to be one of your biggest challenges, you know, within racing? I think like the big two challenges for me at the moment is, is swimming, you know, trying to turn like, I'm what about swimming though? You know how to swim. No, no, it's not. When I say swimming, it's, it's, like you know it's being able to turn and, and breathe so like you know as a rower you, you my shoulders be turned in because of catching the order yeah. a certain way yeah. so it's it's the rest- it's been the restructuring of having your form yeah yeah, yeah. so it's when i say swimming I, I don't mean the technicality or the performance i mean how how my body for 13 years or 12 or 13 years has been used to rotate so are you afraid that you're going to revert back to a bad form no have you fixed that form in training i i have yes i have it's just it's it took me a little bit at the beginning that was my my problem but now i've i've overcome it where oh um, well then wow i'm asking what's what's what do you know is going to be a challenge come race day is i mean is it holding on to that form that's going to be the challenge or is there maybe a different challenge that might come up that you know is going to come up during your next race that you can maybe start attacking now during training does that make sense it makes sense and i i, I haven't done a race so i I'm, i don't know yet but i'd say transition so, so this comes into you know not knowing what you don't know yeah it's, it's the self-awareness piece like you don't even know you don't even know what to attack right now because you don't have any experience in it and that's okay right hmm. so it's like it's, you, you do have to look at it and say okay do i know what my biggest opportunity is if i don't i need to go experience more and, and start figuring out, okay, this is what I need to do differently. This is what I need to do differently and start deliberately. And again, deliberately and intentionally training yourself to approach that challenge for the next race. Mm. Always looking forward. Mm-hmm. I, to- I totally agree with that. You, you mentioned in another podcast about mantras and how once you get to mile six, do you have a mantra to keep focusing your, your mind, your body to keep continuously perform at that race, at that, at that mm-hmm. pace? What's your view on, on mantras and how, what is the right mantra to use for that individual? I know individuals are completely different and unique, but it will be kind of yes. a bog yes, standard, be- you know, like, like that kind of get them to a, a stage where they can start adjusting it to, to what it's for them well you know i it, mantras are very individual like you said it's very important to make sure that they stay individual too you can't you can't just take somebody else's mantra and say that's going to be meaningful and, and you know impactful for you that is the end result of a mantra is that it, it changes you somehow it does something to you it makes you feel a certain way or it makes you do a certain thing a certain way 
you know, my, my mantra personally has, has evolved over the years in order to face the challenges that I need to face, like 60 miles into a 120 mile race, you're hurting like hell. Like it hurts to ride. It hurts to stay an arrow. It hurts to, to continue pushing your pace. It hurts to breathe in some cases. Right. So it's like, but in order to truly perform your body's capable of it, but like my, my mantra sets me up. So my form is, is proper and it continues to stay proper, you know, over the next, you know, 40 miles. So it, it always, it's, it relates back to, okay, at mile 60, my biggest challenge is going to be pulling out of arrow is going to be, you know, pulling off the pedals and, and starting to jam my pedals rather than, you know, cranking all the way around those cranks and, you know, utilizing my butt muscles. Um, I'd start, start using my quads more than my butt muscles during, uh, during mile 60 or through mile 60 or so, because I'd start getting lazy. Um, so my mantra really was like, it, it just helped me come back to the most important things to help me perform cranks or, you know, shoes off it. In the end, it was like, tap your toe, tap your toe, tap your toe essentially allowed me to bring my toe and, you know, on, on the, the upstroke would be pulling my toe up and that would allow me to really pull around the pedal, which again, that's very important to me and my, in my way of going about things. But, and that's why that's an individual thing, but essentially it helped me adjust my form to be proper. And I did that not only for my pedal stroke, but also, you know, how relaxed my body was to my breath and how I was breathing, uh, to my arrow tuck and how I was tucked. And if I got all those things right, because my mantra was like, this is the mantra and this is the effect it has. That's how I did it. Right. Like that's, that's where I executed my, my mantra. And then I'd repeat that mantra in order to stay in the proper form. But that was just my way of going about it. Right. It's like, uh, some people use mantras to motivate themselves. Some people use mantras to, to make them feel more energy than, than they might already have. Some people rely on form. Some people go back to gratitude. Some people go back to smiling, right? Like the monsters are just another tool to help you perform or at least make you feel a certain way to help you perform. So there's, there's definitely, I mean, that's just one technique. Yeah. And there, there are, there are many different techniques out, out there. Um, Nate, if, if you met someone on the street and they asked you for one piece of advice, what would it be? Learn to stay present learn to observe yourself, learn to be where your feet are. If you ever wanted to train that, then work what I like to call the five to one, five things that you see in the moment four things you hear in the moment, three things that you feel physically in the moment, two things that you know for certain in that moment and one deep breath. And essentially by doing that, it brings you into the moment. Because the moment, the present is always made up of your senses. It's made up of what you see, what you hear, what you feel, what you smell, what you taste. It's made up of the breath that you currently are breathing. And it's made up of the thoughts that you're currently thinking. So learn to find perspective by being present. And the more that you can do that, the the better you'll be able to pursue performance as a whole, um, whether that be in training or in racing that's been the most impactful thing that I've heard in my life that I've actually executed on. And that changed the way that I thought about everything. Um, I remember being very stuck and that's, that's, you know, through my, through my, you know, high school career and my college career, I was stuck in the past and worried about the future. Uh, 
I was very rarely present. I was very rarely where my feet were. And the day that I, you know, that I heard that individual having that conversation in sports psychology and doing that talk in sports psychology was the day I became present. And uh, the day my life changed. Hell, I mean, I, I, I still have to work at being present every single day. I do find the more that I stay present in this moment where I am doing the things that I'm doing with the people that I'm doing them with, effective and engaged I can be in this moment and the more powerful I can make this moment. Um, it's the only thing we have control over is right now. Putting our power and attention behind anything else, I think, is worthless. I know I was going to ask you about giving advice to your yourself. I, I see that you've already, you've already con- conquered that. But if your old wise self could give you advice now, what do you think it would be? Be present. Yeah, it would, it would be very much that. Yeah, it would... You know, can't, can't say enough about, about just being here and how much, how much life I personally lost. You know, those, those years between I was, you know, 14 and about 22 much life I, I could have lived you know, how much more life I could I could have lived how much happier I could have been how much less angst I could have felt how much less fatigue and addiction and regret I could have felt that's what I would aim to achieve if I were to give my my pre <laughs> pre-sport psychology self uh, a call today but at the same time, I don't think it all of this stuff that I feel is important and I, that I'm passionate about now. I don't, I don't think I would ever be as passionate about it now if I didn't go through it then. And that's one of my biggest values is passion. I think that, that takes people a long, 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 long way down the road of uncertainty is passion. And uh, if I didn't have that passion, I don't know where I'd be. Uh, I don't know who I'd be. And it's given me my, my North Star. So I think there very much is, uh, is, is an importance of going through those experiences, which all comes back down to be present, be where your feet are and uh, work the challenges that you face today, right now. Um, and if you can do that, you're, you're going to you know, truly, truly find power in what you're doing. And I don't think there's anything else to say to that. Nathan, it's been a pleasure having you on the show and thank you so much. Time flew by and I, I think we could spend hours and hours talking about what we love. Thank you so <laughs> yeah, much that's for so on. true. Yeah, right. well, I appreciate your time, Aaron, and uh, look forward to chatting in the future. Looking forward to your career, man. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night Guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.